I'll have what she's having. I love relationships. I love romantic comedies. I love love. We don't know what Cinderella looked like because she's not real. Yes, they freaking got it. Really earn that happily ever after at the end. Change the writing. It's not that hard. Bonjour, fellow hopeful romantics, and welcome to What She's Having, presented by Meet Cute. I'm your host, Ashley Eskew, and this is generally the part of the intro where I'd say a glass of rosé isn't required. However, today it is, because our guest is Anna Klutz. So grab your beret, a fresh baguette, and pour yourself some wine. Anna Klutz is an acclaimed writer, travel blogger, world traveler, and expat currently living the life of a rom-com leading lady, I'm so jealous, in Paris, France. Anna is also well known for being an incredible sister to Amanda Klutz, who rose to fame this year after her husband Nick Cordero's harrowing battle with COVID. A family of fighters, that much was very clear. Anna braved the flight from Paris to Los Angeles during a pandemic to come support her sister and her adorable nephew Elvis, who you get plenty of stories about, as they brought a community of both strangers and friends together to raise their voices in support of Nick's healing by dancing to his original composition, Live Your Life, on IG Live every day at 3 p.m., Anna partnered with Amanda to write an account of the past year entitled Live Your Life, which comes out this summer, a day before Anna's second novel, My Own Magic. And from what I can tell, that novel has major Eat, Pray, Love vibes. Anna's currently living the life so many of us say we will, but never do. And that is why it is my honor to present to you Anna Klutz. Can you hear me? Hi, I can. Hi. Hi. Anna Klutz, thank you so much for meeting me and talking to me. It's such a pleasure to have you here. You too. Thank you for being so flexible. Are you kidding? It totally feeds into this Parisian dream I have of your expat life where you're running around in tutus with a perfect red lip and a beret with a baguette in your hand, practically gliding. That I may very mistakenly have, but I love either way. (laughs) No, the perception is real, but it also are the moments where you are just like, where they're hitting me more than more than ever lately as I'm just like trying to actually really live here like it is so hard to not speak fluent French and my French is good you know we're like I had a fight with my boyfriend for the first not a fight but like we had our first little like you know kind of spat and like I didn't know what he was saying half the time and I couldn't (laughs) I couldn't even find the words to tell him how I felt and I was just like this is hard I'm happy I'm here, but this is hard. If it makes you feel any better at all, I'm here in the U.S. with a partner that only speaks English, and I am struggling with the same things. Sometimes I I don't know what he's saying, even though we speak the same language, and I struggle with how to get my needs met. At least you have better wine to drink after. Thank you. I feel like I can't complain. I chose this life. I mean, this sort of thing is exactly why I wanted to speak to you. You've had such a momentous year of love and loss and triumph. All these things that may be hard to grapple with, but I feel like make up the richness of life. Yeah, for sure. I agree so much. And despite all that, I feel like romance in all of its forms has been a constant theme in your life. I mean... 
a writer who moved to Paris to restart her life, a sister who stood by her sibling's side as she fought to save the love of her life during a global pandemic. And I'm so curious, where did this love of love first start? Um, you know, I don't know. Like, I guess I would say I have to blame Disney. What else do you trace it back to? Like, I I was such a girly girl and I really did grow up watching Shirley Temple all the time. And then like just tons of Disney movies. And then very young for my age, became obsessed with Turner Classic Movie Channel and was watching, you know, like, Funny Face and Casablanca and Royal Wedding and, you know, and I don't know why those movies captivated me so young. It makes no sense, but I really did and still do love them. So when you really look back at your childhood and then you can make sense out of who you are as an adult. And I was like, yes, no wonder I like sing and dance all the time and, you know, don't find it strange to just like start swirling down the road and truly believe that love does conquer all and everything will live happily ever after. Like, I, it's, I, it all makes sense. It's my childhood viewing preferences. I mean, that resonates with me. Everyone should spend their days twirling down cobblestone streets. But what do you think drew you to these Disney stories? It looked fun. Like, it was when I graduated from high school, my yearbook said it was my goal to be Cinderella at Disney World. Like, I really wanted that job. I really did. <laughs> it was like, not forever, but just for like one year. I just want to do it for one year and see how it felt. Yeah, my sister played Tinkerbell. I totally get that. Did she get to fly at night across the, th was that she got to be that Tinkerbell? Oh, I wish. No, little known fact, that Tinkerbell that flies over the castle has been doing it for so long. She's um, a little long in the tooth at this point, but she still rocks that Tinkerbell costume. I think I have heard that. But my sister was in Pixie Hollow speaking to everyone my else. God. That is so fun. I almost applied for that Disney internship program several times and then just like never worked with my life. And then when I turned 30, that's apparently the cutoff to be a princess. And I was like, it's over. My dream is over. I'm sorry. If we look at real life, wasn't Meghan Markle like 36 when she became a princess? Honestly, Disney really should create like a modern cartoon where like the, the princess they have with like Frozen and things, but still Still, they look like 16 and like I love Moana but like Moana's clearly like what 10 should we not have a leading Disney lady who is like 40 and figuring out her new life because I would watch that film uh, absolutely I mean I think Disney's made a concerted effort to conquer different cultures and relationships to love why aren't we conquering ageism I so agree Especially because not everyone's fairy tale is figured out by the time they're 16. It's usually not figured out by the time you're 30. Certainly not. I started over at 31. Well, I mean, you bring up a great point. You've been so vulnerable about your divorce. What did that breakup teach you about love? There's a time, the period you go through where you're like, I will never love again. It is not worth it. You, know, you go through this, when you're the depths of your despair. You're just like, I will never give anyone the power power to make me feel this bad again. And I feel like every person going through a breakup has that moment where you're like, I cannot believe that I feel this bad and there's nothing I can do about it. And, you know, this is the result of someone else's choice and I have no say in it and I can't fix it. And, you know, I'm such a doer and such a fixer and like, I'm such a figure it out, solve it. There's always a way, you know, believe in love. It will work. And like, I really, I worked so hard at trying to make my marriage work. And so when it, when it ultimately didn't, I 
I was just like, if this couldn't work, then, you know, nothing ever can. And I should just live the rest of my life with dogs. And I have a great family. So that's enough. And like, I was, I was okay with that. And like, literally started like saving money to adopt was really very like, I will live a life on my own. But you know, then what's amazing is very quickly after that, I spent so much time with my sister and her husband. I spent time with my best friend and her husband. And and when you see couples that are very perfectly paired, looking at that, when I could like actually see real love, I started really focusing on what those couples acted like together and realizing that I never actually had that. And so it was, it was a sad realization, but it actually like gave me hope because I was like, okay, I thought that that's what love looked like. And now I see that it does not like that was not actually the kind of love that I needed. And, and now that I have a chance to like, go find the right kind. Now I know exactly what I want and exactly what I need. And I don't think that I knew that when I first decided to get married. So I think it was, you know, it was a good shift to go from this like very dark place to like seeing this little light of hope and being like, no, I, I, I know what I need now and I will find it. That sounds so empowered. I'm curious, what were these qualities that you recognized in Amanda and Nick's relationship and your best friend's relationship that you identified as, for lack of a better word, true love? You can tell when two people really are taking care of each other, not out of need, but out of true want, like out of true desire. And when they truly cherish that other person, I think that really just shows you, you see it in a relationship. And I think it's maybe not so much like what you see, it's more the absence of things, you know, it's the absence of eye rolling or um, certain words that are used. Like one, one tip I got when I was first engaged and there was this older couple that I was with who were totally nuts. They were, <laughs> my ex-husband and I were with them. They were nuts. We had just met them, but they were fun nuts. You know, it was like, I was like, I'll talk to you all day. Cause this is a story one day. And they had been married for like four. 40 years or something crazy. And they said something that stuck with me so much. And it was when you're with your spouse, don't ever like air your dirty laundry to other people. I think so many people, it's, it's funny to pick fun at, at your husband or wife in front of others and, you know, put them down and and play up their faults. And it's always usually passed off in like a, a poking fun way. But they were like, when you do that, you're a team, like that's your other half. And so in some ways you're criticizing yourself because you chose that person and you live with them every day and you know, you're supposed to love them. You're not supposed to use a public forum as an opportunity to, in order to get some laughs, air out their faults in front of other people. So like, I think it's those things I look for truly people who only really exist to like push each other up in everything that they're doing and saying like show so much gratitude. Those things really show. And it's, it's the absence of those little like mean gestures and eye rolls and shrugs and sighs and things that just give you the idea of like, those two are sick of each other. (laughs) It's like when that doesn't happen, that's when you're like, they're onto something. That makes so much sense because what I found is if you're constantly criticizing someone else, you usually have a lot of criticisms for yourself. I think so. I mean, I've always felt like that. And if you don't have a strong bond and love relationship with yourself, it is so difficult to create one with a partner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things I love about you is that you have self-proclaimed wanderlust. What was the start of this love of travel? 
You know, I'm, I'm exploring this in, in my book that I'm writing right now, because my, my second book that will come out next January with Harper Horizon is about the decade I spent traveling. And it's about, you know, my 20s to my 30s and how I changed as a person, how I lost myself, found myself, figured out who I was. And I think so much of that was because of travel. Like so much of that book is how I actually figured out who I wanted and what I was and who I wanted to be and what I wanted in my life because of all the places I went. When I try to trace it back, nothing makes sense. My family did not travel when I was young. You know, there were seven of us. We could not afford to go to Europe. We, we didn't go anywhere. There was never really anything instilled in me in like traveling or, you know, voyaging. Like what are other cultures like? Like my, my town was very homogeneous. And, and I kind of love that because it actually just makes me feel like it was just in me. It's the same way I explain my fascination with France. I do not know. There, nothing makes sense. I have no French relatives nothing adds up, but it's just there. And I have felt it my whole life. And so then that just makes you feel like that is a true love that right away lightning struck. I don't know. I, the, the, the second someone introduced the idea of like, there is other places you can travel. I was like, Ooh, and then I took one trip and, and then I was hooked. And then I was like, I now need to see everything. I know you just said you don't know why you moved there, but with hindsight, do you see any breadcrumbs that made you choose Paris as the city where you chose to start over? Paris is honestly the epitome of everything I love. It's a city that it runs on romance. The, the things that happen here are so funny. The men are so romantic. The things my boyfriend says to me, I'm like, what? Like, I didn't even know someone could say that in real life without laughing. Like, I am dying to know what he says. <laughs> I, I cannot. He will die. But, uh, but, well, he, he might not understand the English, but no, he would die. It is honestly just so sweet. It's it's like stuff out of a movie. And, and that's honestly how I feel about Paris. Like to me, Paris is a movie set. Every day that I'm here, I'm like, I live in a movie set and no one knows it but me. Like everyone I see is a caricature of what a little French old lady should look like or what a guy at the Marche should look like or what the butcher should look like. Every Everything I see is just like so stylized and romantic. And like Paris is obviously such an old city. You're walking on cobblestones that have been there forever. You pass a building and you realize it's been there since 15 something and which, you know, your country didn't even exist. And you're like, what? So I think it's just that like everything is, is beautiful here. And so to me, everything I see is romantic. And, you know, then on top of that, I, I love art. I love culture. And that obviously is such a huge part of France. And I love food. And honestly, like, it's so fun to just live here and every day be like, everything I'm eating is the best thing I've ever eaten. I think about my old life where I would be eating lunch that was like, you know, some vegan smoothie from Liquiteria in New York. And I'm like, now I'm eating a crepe and I'm so happy. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I think I was just always meant to be here. It's the epitome of everything I love in one place. It sounds honestly like you're in your own Truman show, but instead of being <laughs> confined, it's like liberating. You're right. It sounds I ideal. That. I would not be surprised if one day I found out that Paris was fake and created just for me. I would be like, you know what? That makes sense. Because <laughs> I feel like it all the time. All the time I walk around and I'm just like, this isn't real. Look at 
Look at that building. No, what? what? Listen, if I am living in your simulation, I am happy to be a part of it. <laughs> Thank you. You're making it seem very realistic. <laughs> well, being a writer in Paris, it doesn't get much more Carrie Bradshaw than that. I'm sure you have a lot of other women coursing through your veins as you walk through this beautiful dream. What other leading ladies do you relate to? Boy, I have no idea. I mean, they're all, <laughs> nothing would be, what, what's so funny, I mean, my family teases me this all the time. I have, aside from Justin Bieber, no idea of any like somewhat modern artist is ever on my playlist. Like I, the only way I have ever learned those songs was in my sister's cardio classes. And I'd be like, what was that song? And she'd be like, um, that was Sia. And I'd be like, who's Sia? And I have no clue. <laughs> like that truly, like, it's not that I don't care. It's just like, I'm much more, uh, interested and inebriated with like the old. So like when I'm walking around Paris, I'm always like seeing scenes of funny face and charade. Like the first thing I did when I got to Rome was I need to eat a gelato on the Spanish steps. That was what I needed to do in Rome because I had seen Roman holiday 1 million times. And like, that was my motivation. I needed to go have that moment that Audrey Hepburn had. I'm picturing Grace Kelly. I'm picturing Catherine Hepburn. Like I'm, I'm not picturing anyone young and new and now ever. <laughs> That's just me. Are you kidding? I'm totally on the same page. I think there was a special brand of woman that was lifted up during that golden age of Hollywood. I agree. I mean, their fashion, their humor, their essence. Poise is something I deeply miss. I have said for so long that I was born in the wrong time period, which, you know, makes me sound like a, a Woody Allen character, but I really do think I was. <laughs> There's something about that whole era that I just think was so stylish. Like, I think we just lack that same kind of style now. I mean, obviously things have to change, but I want to wear gloves. I want to wear like lace gloves places. I want to have to wear hats all the time. You know, a mask is not the same type of accessory. Well, and you do. <laughs> you are a living Midge Maisel. <laughs> that is like uh, the best compliment anyone could ever give me. That show got me through my divorce. I swear to God. I, I watched that show and I said to myself, channel Midge Maisel. She is not sitting around and crying and moping. Like there's nothing she can do about the fact that her entire life just went up in flames but figure out her whole new own life and go for her own dream. And like the way that she just like happened to be good at comedy was kind of how I felt. Like I never studied writing. I had just always felt like I was good at it. And then, you know, when other people are like, you're good at this, you're like, I am. I mean, I always kind of thought I was, but I don't like other people like it. And so like channel Maisel became my own little private thing. I would say to myself, anytime I felt lost or scared or wanted to cry, I was just like, nope. Channel Maisel, Channel Maisel. I mean, you certainly rock a red lip and a kitten heel. <laughs> so you spoke about this love of old Hollywood films. What are the best of the best? Funny Face is like one of my favorite movies of all time. I am obsessed and it's my dream to recreate the entire photo shoot from the middle. I have two of the like, I think what are, ends up being like eight outfits and photos done. But one day my dream will be realized and I'll do it all. I love that. I love Sabrina. 
also that played into my divorce. Like Sabrina is heartbroken and like in love with out of reach guy and he breaks her heart. So she goes to Paris and becomes a whole new woman. And she comes back fabulously chic and can make a souffle and has a poodle. And she's just like transformed. And I was like, yes, I will go to Paris and transform. Um, (laughs) I love that one. And then I love, um, I mean, it's a Christmas movie, but White Christmas, that's like the first thing I watch every Christmas and those dance scenes. I'm obsessed with Vera Ellen. She's incredible. I mean, Rosemary Clooney in White Christmas is also in but Vera Ellen at the top of doing choreography with a tonic tap. She's in. Oh. I made a point to figure out every movie she's ever been in, which is a lot. And so few of them are known and watch them all because I just wanted to watch her dance over and over and over again. And like one of them was literally terrible. I forget, I forget <laughs> what it was. It was literally like a terrible, terrible movie. It was so hard to get through. I was like, this movie is so bad and boring but this dance scene this one dancing that makes the whole movie worth watching and she's in this pink dress in this garden and you're just like oh my gosh it is my dream of all dreams to like dance like that in a in a beautiful dress one day and just like know how to do it i would die i would pay someone millions of dollars if i had millions of dollars to be on dancing with the stars like i would pay them money they would not have to pay me i would pay them please just let me do it <laughs> it's my dream <laughs> They say in White Christmas, the best things happen while you're dancing. Exactly. I started taking ballet when I moved back to Paris and then my classes quickly got canceled because of COVID. But I I love dancing. It's like a a little piece of that era that I feel like lives on. I wish people still dance like that. And they do in Paris, actually. Before we went into lockdown, there's a certain night on the Seine. I think it was like Thursday nights. There's a certain little night on the Seine and there's a, a little music. It costs nothing and you can just go and dance. And it's all these older couples, but they are dancing. Like they are really dancing. They're not like, you know, doing whatever. They know moves, they know they know things and they are there dancing. And you're like, this is the cutest thing ever. And it, would, it was my dream date. I was like, I will know I've met the new one if he takes me to this dancing thing without me ever having to tell him it exists. Anna, the last <laughs> time my mom and I were in Paris, we saw that exact thing. We were in the boat on the Seine and saw them dancing on the riverbanks and it it was such a symbol to me, not just of romantic love, but of communal love. Yeah. They say the only part of you that can't lie is your body. And to see a group of men and women being so vulnerable with each other in public and bringing their exuberance and heart, it was a dream, just like you said. Every time I passed it, it would always, I would be running. I'd go on a run down the sun and I would see it on at night. And, you know, I was like living alone and single and it was like, one day I will dance there with a French boy. And I will when it's back on. Well, as a current expat living in Paris, it's hard not to draw the comparison to the Netflix television show Emily in Paris. What did they get right and what did they get not so right? Yeah, you know, I actually found the whole um, uproar around that so crazy because I was like, obviously, you guys, it's fiction. Like, I, (laughs) as everyone was like, what was real? What was it? And so many different bloggers and expats and real Parisians were like up in arms and writing lists and making Instagram posts. I was just kind of like, I'm sorry, Gossip Girl was nothing like New York City and nobody was freaking out about that. I don't know why this particular topic was such a pinpoint for people. What it came down to for me is like everyone's experience as an expat is so different. There are definitely some things about being an expat that I think are pretty, you know, someone's going to experience those in a couple ways. And a few of those they hit. And that's Emily like, mixing up law and law. I will never not get that right. Like it's so hard to remember what gender every single thing you're saying is. So like that moment I had, um, 
you know, you have moments where you mix up the words because you think it means this, but it doesn't mean that. And you've accidentally just said something inappropriate or rude. A lot of those little moments I really related to and laughed. I'm, I'm glad they picked up on those little things because those are the things you actually wouldn't think of but that everybody has those moments, you know, then a lot of the like French stereotypes I've heard, you know, some people say, you know, no woman walks around an office in heels. And is that mean? But I, I knew women in New York who walked around an office in heels and were that mean. So I can't, I can't necessarily say like that portrayal of that character was so off. That show was fiction. It's supposed to be dramatized. It's supposed to be exaggerations. Uh, and you're not supposed to look at that and say, oh, this is exactly what it would be like to move to France. And this is exactly how the French are. Like, that's just, of course, not true. Like, I would love to actually do a real, like a docu-series or some some kind of thing that shows what are some real stories of real people? You know, what do you really go through here? Because I think a lot of people want answers to those questions so that they either can consider moving or know what to expect before they move or a lot of different reasons that people ask me so many questions about life in France, right down to like, how do you do your laundry? And I was like, um, <laughs> I have a laundry machine. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like some things that they ask you're like, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, it's very funny sometimes. So that's why like, I think an actual documentary would be very, very interesting. I have to admit, I don't even know if I liked it or enjoyed it, but I watched it in a day. Oh, I did too. Cause I will devour Paris on TV no matter what, you know, I think the important Takeaway is like, it's not meant to show you what real life is like here. And everybody's real life here is so different. You can't, you can't generalize. So we'd all have to be as brave as you in order to experience it. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that, yeah, you have to come here and see for yourself. Yeah, it's too bad that Emily doesn't go to a different country every season. That would be interesting. It would be cool. Maybe a real life person will do that and make it a documentary and that would be very cool. Named Anna (laughs) Clouse. So you've had your share of love and loss this year, most notably when you lost your brother-in-law, Broadway star Nick Cordero, to COVID very publicly. That public aspect, because of the way your sister Amanda Klutz rallied hundreds of thousands of people via social media to send him light and energy to heal at 3 p.m. every day by dancing to his original song, Live Your Life. Would you mind sharing what this year has taught you? You know, I've always had a faith that people are good and like believed that people are inherently good, but like it restored that tenfold and made me want to be the best version of myself to everyone every day of my life. Because the kindnesses we received, it didn't matter if it was just the little boy who lived next door dropping vegan muffins off at our door one day, or if it was someone who donated thousands of dollars to Amanda's GoFundMe. The fact that people cared so much about someone they didn't know and this family they didn't know and were willing to go out of their way to help and formed this insane support community online and still are so invested and supportive and kind. It just hit you when you're really, really going through something awful. And someone does take the time to be like, I'm not asking, I'm telling you dinner is coming to you tonight and I am sending it. And if you have any dietary restrictions, let me know. And you're like, okay. And when you can just learn to accept that help and you see how much it matters and you wouldn't think it's that big of a deal, but, but it is, or, you know, 
someone takes the time to come and take Elvis on a walk so that we have one hour of time to exercise or to go on a walk or to sleep or whatever it is. When those little kindnesses happen and you truly feel how much they mean, it really did inspire me to be like, what can I do for other people every single day? And knowing that like nothing's, nothing too small is too small by any means, even if it's just that I'm at the market here in Paris and I pick up an extra thing of eggs and drop them off at my friends because I know they're her favorite eggs and she didn't have time to go today. Like that means so much. And it changed the way I look at people. It changed the way I believe in people. And it honestly changed the way I treat people because now I am just like, how can I help someone that I love, someone that I don't know? You know, you realize how much it means to you when other people do help. And it makes you just want to be that person for anybody that you can. That sounds pretty amazing. You co-authored the upcoming Live Your Life with your sister, Amanda, Mm -hmm. about how you stood next to her as she lost her husband. Did the process of writing that with her bring you any new discoveries or catharsis? It was so fast. It was such a, a fast, you know, decline and such a quick way to lose someone. And every day was such a blur because there was so much going on. It, it was not only like confinement and safer at home stuff and, you know, constantly being afraid of COVID and obsessive cleaning and washing and desanitizing, um, constant deliveries of stuff, and then making sure that a baby stays alive and a baby is fed. And, and Elvis only wanted Amanda for like the first month. He wouldn't, I couldn't even touch him without screaming. So like, it was, it was a lot. And then, you know, then on top of that, George Floyd was murdered and then the city was on fire and, you know, people were rioting and like, it was just every day was so much chaos and so much to handle and so much to take in and so emotional that we really couldn't process in real time. We fully on just went into survival mode. It was just like, how do we get through the day alive, fed and healthy? And at every, at the end of the day, if we were all in the house safe and and healthy and and eating, we were like, okay, we got through Tuesday. (laughs) What happens tomorrow? And every day was a, a gamble. Like the one phone call changed our lives would change the whole day, would change the whole plan. And, um, and it was such an up and down roller coaster that you just, you never knew what was coming. And that was nuts. So to actually sit down afterward and write, it was hard because it was kind of like re-experiencing every single day and re-experiencing how quickly everything happened. And like, if only that wouldn't have happened then that wouldn't have happened. And, you know, it, it was very, very hard. We both were, cried the whole time we wrote every day, but it definitely did kind of allow us to like relive it all and actually think and process instead of just be in survival mode. And it definitely drew some, like it, it allowed us to see even more of the silver linings that we already did of like, you know, the time we got as a family, the time we like truly got to know Nick's mom and Nick's siblings who like, you know, we didn't, we weren't that close with before. Like um, we're all like very close now. And, you know, I, I got to know my nephew so well. Like when I left, I was like, I feel like I'm leaving my own child. Like I, I was like, I was, I was like, I don't even know if I can do this. It was, um, it was very hard. So the writing of that book really allowed us to really process and kind of live it all over again, but think about it and, and reflect and try to draw conclusions and try to see the best things and, you know, figure out how to look for, for the moral of the story, really, because we truly believed every single day that Nick was going to walk out of that hospital, Amanda and I, every single day. 
there was not a, a waiver of a doubt, even on like the worst day when the doctors would be like, this is the end. This is day, this is say goodbye. We were like, no, I don't believe you. So like, we really did think it was going to be okay. So then when, you know, when your story doesn't end happily ever after, how do you find, how do you find a moral? Cause you just find yourself being like, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand why he couldn't have made it. Like, I don't understand why, why he's not alive. Like, it's not fair. You know, that's what your head goes to. So in the writing of it, we really searched for like, what is the greater meaning? What is the moral of this story? And I think we found it, or at least we found what we believe it to be it. I can't wait to read that in June and discover it too. Now, this is the part of the show where generally we have audience questions for the guest, but it's no secret that you and your sister Amanda are incredibly close, so... I have a bit of a surprise for you. Your bond has been so inspiring to so many of us, and there truly is something so transcendent about the love of a sister, and I only know that because I have one myself. Aww. So joining us now is my sister, Tinkerbell in the flesh, Erin Eskew. Hi. Hi. I'm so honored to be joining you guys at the tail end of this interview. I'm so glad you're here. I love sisters. Oh, <laughs> goodness, our first surprise on the show. It could have gone anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think that was the purpose of this. Yeah, so I guess my first question for you is, I know for Ashley and I, we are opposites in so many ways, but I think that's really what truly bonds us as sisters. Do you find that you and Amanda are more alike or different and how so? I think Amanda and I have a very similar brain and like thought process. We totally will finish each other's sentences. I know that like if I'm struggling with, you know, figuring something out, I can call her and she'll have, I won't have to explain myself. She'll be like, I get it. I get it. Or I've lived through it. I get it. But we are very different in some like physical ways or just like, like preferences. Like uh, Amanda does not love museums. We're like, if take me to any city, that's the first thing I'm going to look up. Like what museum is here? Um, Amanda is very, very messy. And I am mildly like wake up every day and clean for one hour. So like, there's just like a couple, you know, little things like that. But like, if I had to choose one or the other, I'd say we're more alike than different for sure. I don't know if that's a, that I don't know if that's so a big sister, little sister thing. But <laughs> I would say we eat each other's words as opposed to, to finishing each other's sentences. That's for sure. I love that. You guys have a very similar voice too, I've noticed. Oh yeah. I used to literally, not joke, would be able to pick up Nick calling on Amanda's phone and talk to him for an unlimited amount of time. Well, usually I would break it because I'd start cracking up, but I could pick up Nick's, I could pick up the phone if Nick was calling and answer and he did not know. <laughs> I just see that going so wrong, but I love that. That is so funny. Well, you seem to be the best auntie to little Elvis. He is so adorable. What's one of your favorite Elvis stories? <laughs> oh my gosh, so many. <laughs> I'm sure you have a ton. <laughs> it is, he's so funny. I mean, one very funny thing, I mean, there's, he, he was 10 months old when all of this, when I, when I got out there and started taking care of him. And like, that's such a funny age to be taking care of a kid. Cause they, you cannot reason with them at all. Like, you know, now he can be kind of reasoned with, but he could not be reasoned with at all at that age. And you're just desperately trying to just do anything you can to make them happy. And so we obviously in LA, you drive all the time and we were driving to the hospital 
every day and then, you know, driving different errands around the city. So Elvis was in the car a lot. And for some reason, he is very choosy about his musical preferences. And the only song that could be playing in the car is Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. And one of my favorites. Me too, until you hear it 1,000 times <laughs> every time you're in the car. And you're stuck in LA traffic, you know, coming back from Santa Monica. And you're like, if I hear this song one more time, I'm going to scream. And, and, and so it was that. But I mean, it was it was so funny because we were like, how is this kid doing this? Because he would be wailing, just like wailing, giant blob tears streaming down his face. He's so upset. And we would give in and we'd be like, fine, put on, can't take my eyes off of you. In the second that it, you know, it goes, dun, 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 dun. the second he heard the little intro, silence, silence, tears are gone. He is happy. And it was just like, this is hysterical. Like how, how is this happening? And I think that has not changed that like, he knows what he wants and he knows how to get it. So Amanda's in trouble. <laughs> I so adore your family's connection to music. And I feel like that has definitely been passed on to Elvis. It really is. He wants music on all the time. And it's very cute now. He listens to, um, he's over Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons, but now the favorite thing to have on in the car is Nick's recording from um, 54 Below. And like, he genuinely, like that is one of the only musical things he will accept on the radio. And if oh. he's like not happy in the car, that will instantly make him happy. So it's very sweet. Well, Anna, you've made it to the lightning round. Air Bear, you mind helping me out? Of course. Here we go. High heels or ballet flats? Heels. Your favorite statement piece, tutu or red lipstick? Red lipstick. Where's the best place in Paris to sip wine? <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> the, the, the side of the Seine. Any on the bank of the Seine. So red, white or rosé? Rosé, even though the French do not consider rosé to be wine. Are they? <laughs> what is your favorite word in French? Staircase. Because I just think it sounds pretty. It's escalier. That's gorgeous. Love that. Three words that describe the love in your family. Definitely, um, I'd say unconditional. I'd say like genuine. Like it's a very just deep, genuine love. And I would say unbreakable. Like I know those people got me forever. That's, that's, that is what got me through my divorce. I was like, I just lost the love of my life. And I was like, no, I did not. My family is the love of my life and they are not going anywhere. And finally, what is the greatest act of love you've ever witnessed? I mean, my, my sister caring for Nick. I have never like, you know, at that time I was still like, you know, going through divorce stuff. And I was so like to, to see someone love someone that much. And like, you will understand what I'm talking about when you read the book, because no one really knows what happened. But I mean, I, I have never seen someone fight for someone that way. And I don't think I, you know, I don't think I ever will again. Like it was truly incredible. And, you know, you, you witness that day in and day out, just someone absolutely refusing to give up on their person and literally doing everything for any chance they could get to help. Like the things my sister did and tried and would not give up and the, the hours and hours and hours spent researching methods. I mean, that there were times the doctors thought she was nuts, good nuts, but nuts. And like, you know, they said multiple times to her, like, we have never had a person of a patient like you. And like, honestly, the hospital doesn't know what to do, do, do about it. Like we don't know how to handle it. And uh, 
And I, I definitely <laughs> felt like that too. I was like, I have never seen anyone fight for someone like this. Anna Klutz, thank you so much for bringing your full heart today. I can't wait for both of your books to come out. And uh, I'm just so grateful for you. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for your time and heart. Yeah, and thanks for giving me an excuse to hang out with my sister. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Enjoy Paris. A tout à l'heure. Very gusty. You remember things. <laughs> All right. Well, bon soirée. Have, have some wine and pretend you're in France tonight. Uh, Anna Klutz, I am listening to you right now and sipping on some rosé. And by rosé, I mean Cabernet because... That's what I like. Thank you all so much for joining us. What an amazing woman with an incredible year and an even more incredible life ahead. Hopefully soon I'll be able to fly to Paris and watch her dance on the banks of the Seine with her handsome French boy. Please run, don't walk to pre-order Anna's book that she wrote with her sister Amanda, Live Your Life, about everything that happened this past year. That's out June 21st. And on June 22nd, Anna's second book, My Own Magic, will be coming out. So make sure you pre-order that as well. Today, Anna and I talked about... Funny Face, Roman Holiday, White Christmas, one of my personal faves, Sabrina, not the teenage witch one, Emily in Paris, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, oh, God bless Midge Maisel. If you are looking for a meet cute story to consume this week in honor of Anna's Wanderlust, check out Take Off or Irish Coffee, wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, come on over to what she's having and remember to rate, review, subscribe, and then DM us at meetcute or at listenmeetcute on Twitter and send us questions for the guests coming up. All right, that's it for me. I, I hope you go out and live a life as adventurous and wanderlusty and romantic as Anna. Oh, and I almost forgot. Thank you to my wonderful sister for joining me and asking the most credible questions. I just couldn't love you more. Thank you guys so much for being here. I'm Ashley Eskew and I'll have what she's having. <laughs>